welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Home Efficiency. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community? Do it for a living? Make money? You can. Check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com. Check out. I'm here talking with Roger Atkins for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. Roger Atkins is that you know that guy who's always filling up your feet on LinkedIn. He's uh, sort of dominating <laughs> electric vehicle discussions on on LinkedIn. Uh, founder of Electric Vehicles Outlook. Roger had Roger and I met uh, several years ago, a few years ago. I don't know how long, how many years ago now, in Amsterdam at at the one of the revolution conferences, the first revolution conference for, for from EB Box, um, and uh, I was extremely impressed with him from that conver- those initial conversations and everything since. Uh, really, a tremendous deep history and, and master. Uh, knowledge uh, of various matters electric vehicle um mobility um from now you know mining you something that you got into a bit before for, for me this is my new obsession uh but you were you got me into it i think because you sort of you know we had a podcast i think last year that um where you were pushing this and it's been a been sort of top of mind since then um but also electric vehicle charging manufacturing batteries all this stuff so it's a real pleasure to talk with you again, Roger. And um, uh, I don't know if you want to give a brief introduction on what you've been up to, but uh, otherwise we can jump into your the first topic you wanted to talk about. And uh, I'm yeah. excited, excited to hear about GridServe. Sure. Can, well, yeah, that's going to be a good one. Can I play the mouth organ first? Would that be okay? So I've always wanted to do that on your show. <laughs> I hope that was okay, Zach. I hope hasn't blown your speakers or done something to your um your yep. UV. We'll check. Or, we'll yeah. check with the podcast editor, the producer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, grid server. Let's start with that one. But you know, to frame it um, very very quickly, because um, you mentioned mining. These days, I'm focusing much of my attention, almost all my attention, on either end of the electric vehicle um, uh, transition uh, journey. So that's mining, uh, the minerals for, to make the batteries, and then that's the gigafactories. You know, who's building the gigafactories? I'm trying to get to know those people, understanding the process of how you make a gigafactory. What is it? What goes inside those giant buildings? Um, and yeah, fundamentally, where do, where do all the minerals come from? So that's one end. Then the other end is charging. Is the charging of vehicles as we know them today with the anticipation of seeing many more autonomous vehicles. 
So charging protocols like wireless charging, fast cabled charging, and dare I mention it to some people, battery swapping. Um, but GridServe, so GridServe, you mentioned that name. This is the world's first all singing and dancing electric forecourt. You know, we've, we've, got, we've got some of these popping up in, in, in various places. What's the one in um, the Netherlands called, uh, Zach? Um, I'm not, not sure. What... Man, I should know. This is terrible. It, it, it'll, it'll come to me in a bit. Anyway, they've had... Um, essentially electric forecourts for a while, but unmanned, they're, they're not kind of forecourts as we know them, you know, fuel stations. But the GridServe proposition, which is going to open in just a few weeks, is exactly that. It's kind of 30-odd um, fast charging pylons, so from 50 kilowatts upwards, I think to as much as, I think they've got a couple from 350 kilowatt chargers. ABB, also, by the way, with Tesla there as well, this is significant, um, and it's to really show people that the transition is well underway. And for some people who are maybe not quite sure of EVs yet, to show them something they're familiar with, where they can bring their electric vehicle and charge it up, I think it's a brilliant initiative. And this is the first one of a planned 100 in the UK. Yeah, and I think uh, for anyone who's just listening to the podcast, we have a lot of um, listeners who I'm not sure read the article or not. Um, I, I recommend checking out the article for the images because there's going to be some, GridServe has some great uh, architectural landscape drawings about um, demo, you know, showing this off as well as visualizations. But it's really, a, it's, it's a lot of fun just to look at the kind of the architectural landscape drawing uh, for this. It, it, it is, Zach. And, and may I just very quickly tell you what I think is a beautiful story. So, Who's behind this? The company called GridServe is um, uh, a lot of people, well, companies always are, but at the head of that are two brothers, Toddington Harper and Heston Harper. Now, if you know the UK, those names sound familiar because Toddington is a service station and so is Heston. That's also a, a service station on the motorway, a motorway service station. The reason why they're called that is because their father in the, in the um, 60s um, and early 70s, built the country's first um, petrol and diesel uh, forecourts, um, fuel stations on, on the motorways. Then along came the energy crisis. A lot of people on this uh, um, won't, won't know, know what I'm talking about by that. This is when basically oil became a nightmare and you, you couldn't get petrol at fuel stations. That it was rationing. It was a crisis, a global crisis. And at that time then, yeah, Toddington and Harper and, and Heston's um, father switched from uh, building fuel stations to building, believe it or not, this is back in the 70s, um, solar farms. He started developing solar energy way back. And then over time, built up quite a business. I think they sold it to Sonnen Energy at some point. But anyway, this was the journey they went on. And now you have his sons um, uh, building now electric forecourts using solar power, adjacent solar power, to plug into the chargers to fill up the electric vehicles. It's like a complete cycle of life. It's a, it's a beautiful story um, and one that... Uh, um, they told me about recently when I went to look at the site that's being finished. So it's not a scheme, it's not a plan, it's not a project as such. It's now an in-the-ground facility which opens in just a few weeks. 
in just a few weeks. Oh, awesome. Exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, what you're talking about, their kind of, uh, ecosystem approach, ecosystem view is, is interesting. If you look at this, this particular landscape drawing I'm looking at all the time, uh, there's, there's spots for rental electric cars, superchargers, um, rental, are they rental or just, uh, yeah, rental electric bikes, um, different uh, commercial fleet area. Uh, I'm sure there are different types of charging here, walking cycling links um, as well. And some sort of interesting showcase. Uh, there's two showcase circles sort of near the entrance. Do you know what that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh is man. This, yes, I do. This is going to be an experience center. So yes, it's a service station kind of as we know it, but just for electric vehicles. But inside that facility that you see is going to be an experience center. They're going to have um, talks and education. They're going to have a showroom for some electric vehicles. Um, that's going to have a lovely, I believe, a lift up to the second floor. And, you know, one thing that surprised me talking to Toddington, he really is looking forward to lots of people coming in their petrol and diesel cars to have a look around. You know, um, there's not going to be a, a gate or something at the entrance that you can't come in if you've got a diesel. Um, he actually is going to warmly welcome people because the whole idea of this is education. And I know one thing about your journey, Zach, you've always been about the storytelling and the positive message of what fun electric vehicles can be. And to you know, have a facility like this with an experience center, with product, with a mix of people, both EV owners and non-EV owners, um, I, I think is, yeah, I think this is going to be big news and it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, well, the, the thing looking at this and, and what you're talking about um, that this is making me think of is there was a, I'm trying to find now this this article. I found it yesterday for, for an article. Um, I'll find it in a second when you're when you're talking again. But it was about um, Tesla was opening a, a, ma a major, huge, I think maybe its biggest or one of its biggest supercharger stations. And I had a shop inside and that kind of thing. Um, and I got very excited about it. And I'll say why in a second. But um, uh, I was sort of hoping that was going to be more of the norm. And we see a lot of a lot of those popping up. But I haven't I don't recall. I don't maybe they're rolling them out quietly, but I haven't really seen anything about this since then. But the thing yeah. I've, I've thought is, I mean, whether you're stopping for just a 20 minute charge or an hour charge, you, you have just one of the best captive audiences there at a charging station that you can imagine. And I mean, let's be honest, early adopters, early EV buyers are rich. I mean, this is mostly you know, <laughs> it's becoming more mass market, but I mean, early adopters of every technology tend to be wealthier. Uh, it's the same case with electric vehicles, especially since many of them are still expensive. Um, yeah. And so you, you have the best, I mean, this is like the ideal customer, you know, audience you want these. So, so you, you know, you don't want just as like a gas service station with some cheap food and like nowhere to really enjoy hanging out you want a really nice environment to hang out to shop perhaps to relax you know you want i i mean from my perspective these kind of places could be like really big destinations okay so it's like uh i'll, I'll say there's one there's one place between uh, poland and croatia in austria that's like it's got like a castle 
it's sort of cheesy. It's sort of like, it's a weird place. But it's I like, like the a, sound of it, a castle. That sounds cool. It's a big purple castle and it's like totally focused on selling you junk food and stuff. But it's like, uh, but it's cool because it's a big purple castle, whatever. But, but you think about like places where people are going to stop a lot for, on road trips. If you also make them like really, really nice, they can be destinations for a region. They can be regional destinations. They can be, okay, we're going to drive from the UK to Spain, but hey, we have to stop for a few hours at whatever it is because it's awesome. You know, it's yeah, like, uh, so much cool uh, stuff there. So I really, I feel like people need to take advantage of this opportunity more. So this looks like it's in that direction. Oh, listen, I will be there filming. I will be there charging up EV. I will be char uh, with all sorts of people. I'm sure Robert Llewellyn will be there on, on the launch day, but you know, whether it's the launch day or, or afterwards. Yeah, it's going to be you know, a big story. It's going to work well. And it's all of those things that you said. By the way, huge apologies to FastNed. FastNed is the name I couldn't recall a moment ago. Um, in the Netherlands, who built up, you know, uh, built up fast charging uh, stations, um, but they're not like service stations, and they're not manned facilities um, in the same fashion that we're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, um, Fastnet. I think Fastnet is brilliant. They, I mean, yeah. they they've built like Tesla supercharger level, or you know, in some cases, you know, even better. They have a lot of solar. I mean, it's very, very heavily solar powered. Um, uh, really great stuff, yeah. But, yeah, but it's, it's again, it, we've definitely again, got to give them shout out big time. Yeah, yeah. But they and and Tesla and everyone else, no one is really taking full advantage, in my opinion, of like really hot areas where you could like you could. I mean, and so the thing I often think about is Starbucks or coffee shops, whatever. In general, people go to Starbucks or other coffee shops, spend a lot of money on coffee just because it's a nice place to hang out <laughs> like like this is i mean of course pre-covid but uh you know so much of the reason for going to them is not the coffee it's just that it's a cool place to hang out barnes and noble has been like that in the in the u.s less so now of course because uh there's less focus on books these days than uh, but um you know you if you build a really nice place to hang out like there's just it's uh, there's not enough of them in my opinion so uh, you know it's a great way to make money i think but it, it should really be done at, at more supercharger stations i found this tesla article so i had te 10 awesome design features of tesla's newest supercharger station this is november 2017 three years ago um and one thing it had 40 stalls solar powered um near a highway some greenery so it had nice greenery greenery around it which you see at the grid serve station here uh, Wi-Fi, comfortable seating, play area, refreshment and store. Um, so it looks like this is, you know, grid service implementing this as well. Can you talk anything about the, the growth plans for, for this? Yeah, they, they, well, this is number one. So this is in the ground up and running, as I said, in a few weeks. Uh, they then got planning permission for the next two. I think one, as I recall, was an Ipswich somewhere. I can't remember the third one. Um, but they've got Hitachi Capital behind them. So they've got good investors behind them. They've got a lot of people that, you know, are, are confident that this is going to be, you know, a strong commercial proposition. Um, and it is that tie up between, you know, having, ha having a number of things all, all together. I'm just going to read it out to you. Here's something from a press release. Um, instead of rows of petrol and diesel pumps, you'll get a conventional service. Uh, you get in a conventional service area. The electric forecast has 30 EV chargers, including six Tesla superchargers. 12 of the other chargers are capable of operating up to 350 kilowatts. 
Uh, so I could add 200 miles uh, to a car in as little as 20 minutes. Obviously, it depends on the car. You know, I think there'll be a queue of people in e-trons, for example, because, of course, they charge nice and quickly in a, in a, nice, uh, in a nice fashion. Um, uh, but, yeah, they, they, they've, they've, they've got everything in there that you'd, you'd imagine. Coffee shop, uh, boots, the chemist, a uh, number of other things. This is, yeah, it's going to be something special. Um, so I will make a video. I will share it with you. In, in fact, you know, I, I'd love to do a bit more with Clean Technica because I always like reading your stuff. You know, I, I'm always excited to see the scoops that you get. Um, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about the um, Monster Mega Biscuit Tin Battery. Oh, <laughs> the, yeah, we've yeah. got to talk about that in a minute, man. Um, but yeah, so, so that's one thing. The other infrastructure thing I'd like to quickly reference is um, the wireless charging project with Jaguar in Oslo. Um, so we both know Christina Boo. We both know that Norway, well, everyone I'm sure listening to this knows, Norway has been the epicenter of EV um, innovation uh, and business growth. But not perhaps so much for taxis, ironically. And the reason for that is a lot of taxi drivers, apparently, um, in Norway, but we're talking about Oslo here specifically, um, don't like to go away from the taxi rank to charge, you know, because over at the charging uh, sites, you haven't got any customers. So if you blend into the um, duty cycle, the area of operation, the taxi rank, um, by putting wireless charging in, you're more, in, you know, taxi drivers are more incl inclined, it would seem, to take taxis. So Cab Online, big Nordic um, taxi firm, uh, together with the city of Oslo, um, who've always been, you know, pretty forward thinking. And then to my great delight, given I'm a Brit, um, Jaguar then uh, have worked in that consortium a, a, as well with Fortum Recharge um, to put 25 electric Jaguar I-Paces on the road as, as wirelessly charged EVs um, from probably given this pesky COVID thing in the bloody way, um, November, December, it might unfortunately even end up being January, I guess, but you know, within the next few months, that's what we're going to see. So that's another exciting thing in terms of charging infrastructure. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I could talk about it, but I, I just invite you to talk a little bit more about why you think wireless charging is a big deal. And, you know, considering that, you know, right now we're at maybe two, two to 3% EV market share globally. Europe is around 10%. It's going to be over 10% this year, I think. Um, this, you know, the wireless charging uh you know it's been a topic for many years and it's it's not has not become mass market of course but the technology has kept improving and i've just always seen that it has a lot more potential than early adopters might recognize because they're early adopters because they're not mass market buyers and i think there's a kind of there's always any small barrier to any small difference, small change someone has to make, if they're in a the mass market, they're you know a lot less likely to be willing to make it than uh, early adopters, just fundamentally who they are. Um, and wireless charging just offers this this ease, this like you don't need to plug in, you don't need to figure anything out, you don't you just you pull up over the thing, like <laughs> like it's that you just make sure you pull up in the right spot and it starts charging. Like, yeah. So yeah, I, think well, that's good. I think that's really valuable, but um, yeah. Well, let, let me very quickly outline, if I can, that actually predominantly it's not about cars. It's not about electric cars. This, this is really about 
um, buses, um, trucks and vans, and yeah, cars by way of taxis. So this particularly is well suited to the duty cycle uh, where vehicles are used a lot. Um, they're used all day. Um, and often where they're on what they call, I guess you'd call it closed loop environment. So a bus route, you know, a bus route is a series of stops on a specific journey. They know what it is and it's easy to, 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 to monitor and manage. Um, unlike a car, which could go anywhere. Um, same for electric trucks. So you've got UPS and, you know, Amazon and all these other companies that have millions, well, thousands, probably millions actually, um, of electric trucks. If they haven't now, they soon will have. Um, and then the electric taxi, uh, the taxi proposition uh, to be electric. And over and above convenience, Zach, predominantly what this is about is economics. This is about um, uh, operating costs, well, kind of capex and opex, because it's a, a way of having range extension, but not on board the vehicle. Um, in other words, you can take a 160 mile bus, as they do with momentum dynamics in America, um, a BYD um, electric bus that's ostensibly 160 mile range, and you can turn that bus into a 200 and something mile range simply by where you place the wireless charging proposition. So if you then start to look at building out that kind of nascent wireless charging proposition for a bunch of buses for a transit company, and that works for them, it, it kind of washes its face, if you like, to use a kind of um, financial parlance. If you then say that nascent charging infrastructure is available to other vehicles as and when they're equipped with a receiver, of course, on their vehicle. So let's say, let's say a transit company with a bunch of buses invests in that money because it, it works. They can then start to say to UPS or FedEx or Amazon or all these other people with lots of delivery trucks, if and as and when you want to pick up a charge on our kind of, you know, asset on our real estate um you can do that it's there you know it doesn't need a connect it doesn't need a connection it's ubiquitous um it, it's it's got rfid tag on it so it's data as well as energy um transition um you know th there's something in this that people um, understandably w won't have seen and understood yet which is a very strong commercial economic proposition over and above it's simply more convenient mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and there's some, so one of the criticisms for a long time has been that uh, wireless charging just can't be as efficient as charging with a cable. Uh, but we, what we've seen in recent years are at least claims of very high efficiency, fast wireless charging for, for electric vehicles. I don't know the specifics of how that works, but, um, but we're seeing, you know, like uh, good efficiency that I think, um, as, you, as you point out, is enough to provide more economic benefit than cost um, uh, as far as what, what, what is offered yeah. for, for commercial vehicles. Um, so it's, I mean, it seems like they've just, I assume, made incremental technology improvements repeatedly, you know, for a decade or, or more. Um, yeah, that's, that, that, that is exactly what's happened. So sorry to sort of briefly interrupt go, you. Go for it. Yeah, well, well, yeah, I got a terrible habit of this. Please tell me to shut up. I, if no, I, I have the same habit, so I have absolutely oh, no Oh, that's judgment. a nightmare then. Both of I, us have, are I have zero <laughs> judgment, so interrupt anytime. Oh, anymore. man. Okay, so think about it. The co-founder, sadly, one of the, the, the co-founders is no longer with us, Bruce, uh, an amazing chap by all accounts. I, I never really knew him that well. But Andy Darger, the other co-founder, 
um, who's, uh, I can assure you, <laughs> alive and kicking, is ex-NASA. And he did some amazing things at NASA. Not going to go into all of that. But yeah, over this 10-year journey the company's been around, um, they have progressively improved and developed the capability in terms of alignment, the capability in terms of efficiency. And I think real soon we'll have a global standard for high-power wireless charging because that's a pretty fundamental thing um, uh, you know, mm -hmm. as, as right. well. Um, and just, can I name drop, Zach? Because I know yeah, you yeah. Name, name, drop. <laughs> name drop. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I asked Elon Musk um, about six years ago, what did he think of wireless charging, battery swapping, and cable charging? And did he th what did he think the journey would be of those three things? And would one of those ultimately prevail? Um, what do you think Elon said? Uh, I'm going to leave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you know. I get, enough, heard... I get in enough trouble, so you know. <laughs> Come on, Zach, I've heard you on the investor course. You have... A few times your questions popped up. And so you've asked Elon questions. I, I don't be shy about that, my no, friend. Oh, yeah. I'm just, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is. And I, and I, I make enough mistakes every day. So I don't want to make okay, another Okay, well, well, very briefly, Elon perhaps understandably said, bear in mind this is six years ago, um, that he thought um, fast charging would ultimately prevail. This would be the dominant proposition. He then very politely said, you know, gave an answer to the other other two he said uh, battery swapping uh, they would do if um, if there was a market demand for it they had um, engineered this into the model s and they would be soon i think at the time yeah he said at the time they would soon be demonstrating this i think there was that place called harris ranch where they yeah, did they, it they had it for a while and and yeah. yeah i was i was curious also because you know he had this idea even long before that so he he's always thrown around these ideas well you know exactly the thing uh, was he he and he and back in the day um he and um uh, Shai Agassi. Shai Agassi were both kind of you know head to head on getting funding and money from people yeah. to progress their you know individual ambitions and yeah okay w one of them didn't succeed and the other one's done quite well, well and and I thought you know for a long time I didn't know that but i think i saw at some point where elon said he had the idea before better place like maybe even gave it to shyags yeah, i don't know but i well, don't know i don't want to get in trouble with the history it might be wrong no no, no. well, well right. let, let me tell you how old i am zach because <laughs> but i was around in the 1920s but back in the 1920s they had battery swap i think it was ups certainly in new york city they had a bunch of electric uh, trucks that had great big um uh, uh, lead acid battery trays and they whacked them in and out of those 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 machines um, to effect battery swap to 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 keep the vehicles on the road longer. So actually, it wasn't Shai's idea, and it wasn't Elon's idea. It was yeah, way before that. <laughs> of course, it was. Yeah, of course. Uh, and yeah. um, so, two quick things. One, that station in California that Tesla had. There's always been a little little bit of unclarity about whether it was really tried 100 mm percent -hmm. or or it was kind of like a half effort. And Elon has said, well, people didn't want to use it, which I, I think is very prob probably, that might be just the number one thing is that he, they found people didn't want to really use it. But I, I remember a lot of interest in it among people who've had trouble being able to use it or something. So I, I don't really know how much, I mean, and it's, you know, it's one station is not a real trial. So no, better, no, no, so better, no, it it, it isn't, but, but, but let me yeah. tell you my sense of it was, and this is not being disrespect, disrespectful to any of the good folks at, uh, at Tesla or, or Mr. Musk, 
Um, it was primarily, I think, done because um, it's a big old engineering job to, to do um, to ensure that the, one of the criteria on the ZEV credits yeah. was maintained, which is an incredibly important source of revenue at that time. Um, and equally, given the sort of people that have been, well, certainly were then buying Teslas and, 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 and to a lesser extent had been for some time after, were individuals rather than fleet operators. The proposition of battery swap is more inclined towards fleet operation than individual ownership, I think. Um, and not and, one and, location. I mean, yeah, it's got, it's yeah, and, be... and also, to be fair, to have gone on the journey they have with um, the supercharging network is just unbelievably yeah. epic. To have mixed into that swap and even wireless would have just been far too much to try and do. They would have, you know, overdone things. But let me tell you, I'd love to bump into Elon again and say to him, when the last time we spoke, Elon, you said to me, uh, when he talked about wireless, he said, efficiency and alignment were, were the problems. Yeah, exactly. And those things have um, improved a lot. Well, let's talk about alignment for a second, Mr. Musk, because it seems to me that if you can land a rocket ship on a moving barge um, <laughs> in the middle of the ocean, you're pretty good at alignment. So when it comes to, you know, engineering in that capability, that should be a big tick in the box. Um, and you know what you should whether, do? You know what you, you should know. do? Just tell them it's impossible. <laughs> tell him it's that, impossible yeah, and yeah. that'll get his mind working then he yeah. won't put it down till it's done and, and all over the world uh well it's well i mean that's also why i didn't want to guess because obviously they went supercharging supercharging has been tremendously successful in, in many regards uh but at the same time they they did do the battery swapping and you never know what his long-term vision is uh until you know you, you, later on but uh but on that so, so we also had better place to do battery swapping in Israel, which they better place folded. But, you know, basically it was very early in the EV uh, world and, you know, electric cars were not nearly as good as they are today. Now we have Neo doing it. And I think it's Oops. a really fascinating, yeah. fascinating uh, offering and part of the, their, their system. So I'm curious to hear, I know you spend a lot of time talking thinking about China, um, the Chinese EV market. Uh, can you speak a little bit about what you what you think about what Neo is offering and, and how that's going? Yeah, I, I think Neo is fascinating, um, and and uh, there is a guy called Fei Shen who's the head of what they call Neo Power. So what I think Better Place could have been and should have been all along was not just swapping batteries. It was about um, grid storage. It was about grid balancing. It was about the battery as an asset rather than a liability. And if you look at what NEO were doing in China, it is inextricably linked to the, the big power companies. So China State Grid and China Southern Grid in particular. And the vision for building out these um, battery swap stations isn't just to facilitate that action. It's also to have um, the resource, the, the energy storage resource to work with the grid put power in, take power out. And one of the key things I think we haven't seen enough with technology around the world is to balance up, you know, what goes on between day and night, you know, the 24 hour clock, the supply and demand of energy and so on and so forth. All of these things are where, you know, some really smart people at, at NEO, you know, so NEO power is, is what they call it. Um, in, in fact, I put the whole bunch of slides that they kindly presented to us when I was with the press um, that's that's Presley the Vizsla barking, by the way, and you can hear that. 
Pre we, I've got two yeah. dogs, Presley and Hendrix, the, the Vizslers. They know nothing about electric vehicles, but um, anyway. I, I got confused about the slides or what? Uh, the, the slides are what? They're, they've been, yeah, they're they're so sorry. sorry. I missed I missed the trans the segue there. Yeah, the dog. Yeah. I hear some dog. But the slides are up on my LinkedIn feed. Um, I don't know if you've come across LinkedIn, Zach. I pop <laughs> down again as a I name. literally, uh, you know, I literally just started to try to catch up on messages after not checking them for more than three years. Uh, oh my I, god! Yeah, I just. Uh, I mean, I did it almost. I did the same on Facebook. I think even even further back. Um, I don't know. You know, I've got a now a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and um, I think when when the second one arrived, I just couldn't keep up with uh, with everything like I used to. And of course, Clean Technica has always um, got a lot of attention. So, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Zach, can we jump right back to the bit I mentioned earlier—the mining side of things, the minerals? Yeah, but just one one thing. Last thing on battery swapping. So the thing that fascinates me about the Neo offering too is they they have some kind of offering of when they have better batteries, you can easily get them because of the battery swapping model. So this is sort of a, this is a reason a lot of people end up upgrading a Tesla, a, a, an electric car is they want the best new battery. Um, so Neo's battery swapping model sort of offers this interesting uh, bonus of, hey, we got a new battery, you want it? Um, I think that's how I'm understanding it. Is that correct? Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you do understand it. It's it's a model that uh, was, of course, always where where Better Place were going, and it was what Renault ha have used, um, which is to uh, sell a split asset. So you have the car and you have the battery. So with Neo, you can have a package where you're you're only leasing the battery, and therefore it's not yours. So it doesn't matter which one you get when you swap it out or swap it in. And yeah, indeed, as and when then uh, there's a better battery, that's what you're going to get. I think, and I'm not absolutely 100% on this, even if you buy one, I think when they first launched the ES8, so that's the bigger SUV to the ES6, which they now have out, um, I, I think almost as a, as a reward, a bit like Elon did with super, free supercharging for, for early Tesla people, um, I, I think then you, you, you have the option to, to swap out your battery to, to the newer one um, for, for uh, um, some kind of fee. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, look, there's a lot of innovation coming and that's definitely one part of it. I, I, battery swap isn't dead. We certainly see it in things, smaller vehicles and bikes and stuff like go, go row, uh, and others clearly, because it just makes sense, you know, with small batteries and for security and, you know, home based charging, et cetera, just makes total sense. But, but yeah. yes, well, watch, okay, so watch Neo. Very interesting. Yeah. So let's jump it back into the, to the mining for, for a final topic. What, where are we going deep deep underground where <laughs> yeah we're going to go right underground we're going to we're going to well not always because sometimes these are open cast mines but essentially let's not kid ourselves if we're looking to go on a journey on this planet from one challenging issue of extraction namely oil um, and coal of course um, to another where we just strip mine the whole planet of um, of lithium or cobalt or graphite or, or whatever what have we really done so one of the key things I'm really learning about is, is the accelerated um, ethical mining proposition, not just because people are choosing to, there's legislation, so they have to. Um, but through a guy called Simon Moores, I knew nothing about all this stuff, Zach, well, I suppose 18 months ago, nearly, nearly two years. I saw on LinkedIn this video of a guy called Simon Moores, never heard of him. 
um, a company called Benchmark Mineral Intelligence, addressing the US Senate committee and telling them the comparison between what China controlled and what the US controlled. And it was like a nightmare scenario. It was basically China, 60%, US, nothing. China, 75%, USA, nothing. And you can see these, you know, senators thinking, oh my God, you know, we, we haven't focused on this and we should because it's about, and it, not just energy security. If we're developing more and more electric mobility and electric everything, those that control the essential minerals to supply and make batteries are kings of the world. Um, and I have to so say, this, uh, this was not planned, but um, the, probably the next podcast or one of the next podcasts after we publish this one will be with Simon Mars. So, so that we're, well, that's, uh, that's there you are. Per perfect. So Simon's going to give you yeah. chapter and verse far better than me. But let's remember, this isn't just a story about um, lithium. It's very easy to just talk about lithium because we say lithium ion batteries. But you've got other essential chemicals. Uh, minerals, etc., chemicals and, and minerals. So whether it's the mining of uh, the mineral resources or whether it's the processing uh, of those, etc., there are some extraordinary companies around the place. There's a company in the US called Urbix Resources. You should look those up. Um, they're involved in, in, in graphite. Uh, Urbix, Urbix Resources, U-R-B-I-X. They're based in the United States. Very interesting company. Uh, so graphite is, is their game um, and they're, they're pretty much you know ready and, and willing and able to support the kind of half a dozen uh, gigafactories that, that that were becoming on on stream in, in the united states um and then of course you know cobalt we know there are big issues um uh in, in terms of of how that's mined the artisan artisanal mining of it the using children i mean it's just it's just not and also not also nick, nick nickel which uh, elon was begging for um yeah better, nickel, better, uh, and manganese and, as well. You know, you can go through and Simon will when you do that chat with him, you know, and with, a good and, half and a I'll, dozen of them. And I'll just uh, preview another. We also, I'm not sure if it's going to be a, if we're going to do a podcast as well, but we, we do have content coming as well, exclusive on a nickel, on a company that mines nickel in North America, seemingly the like the only really... Um, you know, green, uh, kind of low carbon, um, sort of ethical uh, option for 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 more nickel from North Carolina. So we have topics more on that coming as well. We're yeah, in. yeah. Well, well, um, well. but uh, I, and I'll just say one more time. Thanks. Um, you know, I, you and I had a similar approach for years. Like, uh, oh, it's all going to work itself out. I remember interviewing Bloomberg New Energy Finance people, Michael Liebrich, others, um, several years ago at a, a conference um, we co-hosted in in uh, in the UAE in Abu Dhabi and uh, you know the the kind of prevailing big picture view which is you know still valid is well the market's going to work it out the investors will find where money should go and to scale up production uh, but you flagged it for me after going to benchmark minerals conference after hosting I think right uh, benchmark yeah, Mineral, I've done minerals conference last year um that you know this is a real potential bottleneck um several of these um minerals just are not getting the investment required and it takes like five to seven years to set up uh, mining for for them um so there's you know we're, we're trying to throw a yellow or a red flag because um I, th I think i see it as one of the biggest uh breaks uh, yeah yeah the, listen, that, that's the revolution 
there's definitely a bit of a misalignment here and you know on or offline with you i could nudge you towards a few other people there's an amazing guy called joe lowry i call him lithium joe um he's in uh, new york and and his kind of forensic analysis of the lithium supply chain price supply you know all sorts of he, he is he is a world authority on it uh, so I talked to him. So yeah, I'm, I'm focusing on, on that bit in terms of supply chain, uh, what it all means. I, I host quite a few of the benchmark things. So I get to know some of these places, amazing companies in Australia, particularly, and South America, especially, and of course, in Africa. And then in Africa, recently, I got to talk to a, a young man in Uganda, a guy called uh, Mutabazi Jeffrey, um, just a young 20 something year old trying to kind of make his way and fully focused on liberating the assets in in africa much more for africa to, to help africa be much more self-sufficient and, and successful in things where, where in the past it's let's be frank it's just been exploited um and then i also came across through through mutabazi the um um uh, for a guy called leshan nika i put his video up recently just a short 10 minute linkedin video um about africa's first gigafactory that he's going to be building so we've got that gigafactory there we've got Gigafactory in the UK with British Vault. We've got, as you know, North Vault up in Scandinavia. We've now got um, Faircore in France. Uh, I know the guys behind that, um, interesting people. We've got SAFT and, and PSA building another Gigafactory uh, in France. There's obviously a, a Gigafactory going up in Berlin, as you know, um, from those people um, based in Fremont. You know, it really is kicking off, but it can only work if we start at the beginning with who's got the minerals are they available is the processing capability available after the minerals then in terms of and also chemical companies to a point at which then it all joins up the supply chain for the battery you know needs to be ethical and robust and at the moment it's it's a bit of both but not very much in terms of being robust there there are some real fractures in that um in that yeah. supply chain that really must be resolved. Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen, uh, we've been talking a lot with RK Equity guys, uh, Howard Klein and Rodney Hooper, who are um, uh, top experts in this field as well. And they, they are, yeah, know those, yeah, know those guys very well. They're yeah, lovely fellas. I've, I've learned most of what I know now about mining from them. So, uh, so uh, credit or, or discredit to them if I get anything wrong. No, I won't put my mistakes on them, but they've been... Exactly. The thing is, sorry, the important thing is you are now talking about it. And okay, I've been doing this stuff for 15 years. It's only recently I've been talking about it. These people have their kind of niche world. They, they talk a lot to each other. And yeah. what you and I are doing, hopefully, in our small way is building a bridge into the bigger electric vehicle market from the point of view of OEMs in particular, uh, but also tier ones and, and other people coming into this. We, we, you know, our job, your job and my job, as I see it, is to be cross-pollinators of ideas and, and news stories and things where, where we, you know, we, 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 we help them, you know, we help them tell their message. So, you know, yeah, you're definitely. doing a great job knowing I, those people. Definitely. And I, I think, too, there's things like where it's where you in this, this industry or others where you, you hit a kind of like um, a sort of urgent moment or urgent topic and you just have to busted out of the bubble and you you need people to help you know help bring it out of your bubble to other uh other people but I, i'll just i feel a duty to kind of res, um put my own summarize what i what i hear howard say a lot which is 
you know, you sort of ha- we we need to respect and and value uh, and allow mining more in in North America and Europe because of that that kind of uh, it has a stigma. Of course, it has to be as ethical and green as possible, but it also we can't just say we're not going to do any mining because it's not it's not software. You know, we're we're not going to do any mining in in the U.S. or Europe, and I think there's a growing awareness of that among some policymakers and some some uh, in the industry. But I think there is a much greater need to re- recognize what you were highlighting about uh, China dominating the market, sort of almost cornering the market for some of these things. Oh, and, I, I, absolutely, man, man! Right now, the need to have this regional. Yeah, they're stockpiling cobalt at the moment. It, it's it's a, it's a national policy. You know, it is an, it's an, it's in anticipation of, of a number of things, and and it's it's a big issue. Listen, I like China. I like the Chinese. I've been there when, when we used to be able to travel. You know, quite regularly. I, I'm not. I don't want to be partisan about this. Be you know, from a European perspective, or yeah, talking about China or US. We're talking about one place. We're only talking about one place in all of this conversation. It's called planet Earth. We all live here. It's it's the only thing that counts. You know, that's the home. We have and these names of countries and, of course, cultures and histories. But essentially, we are one. You know, we're one species. And there's there's obviously economic risk from over dependence on on another country for something. I mean, that's what we're trying to get away from, actually, right? Uh, but also, um, th- there's a huge CO two footprint from having stuff uh mined here shipped across the world shipped to process shipped here to you know so you really there's i think a really great need for kind of as much as possible i know northfold is very big on this uh tesla i'm I'm sure is focused on it to some degree this kind of need to kind of have as much as possible a kind of full life cycle um production and processing uh uh ecosystem for for ev batteries um so you know have kind of a lot of stuff happening in europe that's not happening right now same with north america yeah you're 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 absolutely right do you know what it's like it's like a rubik's cube it's like trying to twist and turn all the colors on the rubik's cube to match up each of those sides of the rubik cube so you have ethical mining you have circular economics you have uh cost effective you know proposition you have all the things that that then match up. And at the moment, we're twisting and turning this Rubik's Cube globally, you know, and it's to do with geopolitics. It's, of course, it's to do with, you know, climate change and climate challenge, but it's also to do with business, profit, culture, people. It's multifaceted, just like, you know, the sides of a Rubik's Cube. Um, And so, yes, we're, 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 what we can't do is berate the auto industry, slate the people that make combustion cars, you know, bang away at oil companies, etc., to then simply blunder into an electric vehicle proposition that hasn't been properly thought through when it comes to, you know, the minerals to mine it, the batteries to make it, and how they're going to be used. We would just be a, an, a huge bunch of hypocrites if we did that. So, um, as you say, more and more people are aware of it. Um, Thomas Ingenlath from uh, Polestar was, I think, only yesterday, um, talking about this, saying we have to be much more open and honest about what we've got and where we're going and how it works. And he, he's right, you know. And, and Elon's been on this, I think, yeah. for the longest time as well, of course. Yeah, his, uh, his tweet, was, you don't have stuff if you don't make stuff or something like this. There's no stuff if you don't make stuff, which, you know, <laughs> it, never, it never came across as particularly... Uh, um, uh, eye-opening to me because I think it's clear but at the same time you know you could dig into that statement 
in uh, in a lot of ways, and I think it's a, it's very applicable applicable to this mining situation. I think, and the, the kind of what Howard keeps raising that if we stigmatize mining, if we won't uh, allow mining, if we won't um, incentivize mining in North America or Europe, then it's going to happen in China or somewhere else where it's going to happen perhaps not nearly as 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 you know ethically as we might as we want probably and also just will be an economic problem and a business problem so i think um you know we sort of there's i you know i don't know you know i I don't know as this grows if it's going to be something that environmentalists um get very you know pushed back very heavily on without seeing the big picture or they're going to say okay well we recognize that's important for ev so we're going to push and support this as well but i think it's a discussion that's not happening yet it's going to happen and we need to get ahead of it and say mining is critical to a zero carbon or low carbon future and we you know we have to lead lead in this as well not just manufacturing cars yes yes we do listen i'm I'm watching the time i tell you why not because i'm running out of things to say you and i will never do that i imagine but uh hendrix and presley keep looking in the window of my office door and (laughs) they they are they're sort of using thought transference um uh, to, to say we need to go for a walk um, I, I need to pick up my daughter from school too so thank thank you very much roger i really appreciate it thank you for listening to clean tech talk join us next time to get your electric fix If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.